Today is Wednesday, June 12th. This is the Daily Perspective from Politics NC. I'm Kurt Kovac here with Thomas Mills in Carbro, I believe, today. Thomas, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm all right so far. So the biggest thing I think we'll touch on today, there was an article in The Hill talking about, the title is Tensions Rise During GOP Leadership Meeting Over Dues. So Representative Mark Walker is a pretty prominent conservative in the House, and he's been talked about as a potential challenger to Tom Tillis in the Republican primary. After there was this debacle over some bribery charges earlier in the year with the state's GOP chairman, Mark Walker was identified in some documents, uh, not charged with any wrongdoing or anything like that, but his name was tangentially related to that whole episode. And there's been a bit of a kerfuffle within the caucus, it seems like. Mark Walker is not wanting to pay his dues to the NRCC. And part of that issue is that he's openly considered running in the primary against uh, Tom Tillis. And I thought an interesting uh, tidbit from that was the a source in the article said that the mention in the indictment of Mark Walker was remarkably unusual and clearly politically motivated. Sign off by DOJ officials with direct ties to Senator Tillis and officials who Walker had skewered in oversight committee hearings, a source familiar with the matter told The Hill on Tuesday. So that's an anonymous source there. And to me, at least, it felt like they were sort of testing maybe a way to primary Tillis or sort of discard his uh, bona fides there for conservatives. So, I mean, do you have any thoughts on this interaction within the the GOP leadership meeting and, and what it might portend for Mark Walker if he jumps into a primary against Tillis? Well, you know, it sounds like he's trying to hold on to his money with his membership dues. Um, so, you know, and, and I, I will say this, a lot of members have problems with their uh, caucus organizations, whether it's the Democrats with the DCCC or um, uh, Republicans with the with the uh, RSCC or, or whatever their uh, congressional version of it is. But it does seem like there, there's kind of a ratcheting up, and it sounds like that Walker, I think earlier last week he said he wasn't he, he hasn't ruled out of primary with Tillis yet. So it sounds like he's probably starting to think that way. Um, you know, Tillis really is not doing a very good job of handling um, the pressure that's been on him. You know, he's flip-flopped a number of times. He really looks like he's just pandering to Trump now. Um, you know, and and the problem that he's going to have is Walker is far more a Trumpist than Tillis. And I think G the GOP electorate is going to see through Tillis. He'd probably be smarter trying to own the lane of the moderate Republicans, though I'm not sure there are enough moderate Republicans to elect a Republican in a primary. But um, trying to go after that Trumpist crowd after really coming across as a phony is is, is not going to be great. And, and, you know, the more he fights with Walker, my guess is the more that, that – that crowd of Trumpists slash hardcore conservatives are going to get behind Walker. Well, do you think that if Mark Walker gets in, that 
he would compete at all with Garland Tucker, or do you think that Garland Tucker and Tillis kind of share the same lane in that primary? See, I, I, th- I mean, I, to be honest with you, I think if Mark Walker got in that primary, he would almost start out as a front runner, given where today's GOP is. I mean, I think Tucker and Tillis are really from the same wing of the Republican Party. They both might try to be, you know, pretending to be Trumpists, but they, they've never been. And, uh, you know, people people smell dishonesty and, and, and uh, you know, phoniness in, in primaries. And, and I think, you know, Walker would start out that race with a big advantage. Well, given that President Trump did win the state in 2016, if a very pro-Trump, I guess more than Tom Tillis even candidate is running, so say Mark Walker beats Tillis, and then he's the candidate. Do you think he is a stronger candidate because he's tighter to Trump in a general, or do you think that would hurt him in a general if there's backlash against the president? I think I think Walker. I think Tillis is a better general election candidate than Walker, but I think that Walker's probably got more of the primary electorate in his uh, or that are closer to him, and uh, you know, I, I mean. Tillis right now is going to have to really step up his game to be a good candidate in either case. I just think that that Mark Walker's going to be way out of touch with a lot of people. I mean, he, he may be a good fit for his district. He's not a great fit for a lot of North Carolina, though, um, not just because of his Trumpist views, but just a lot of his social conservative views. Tillis won because he, he portrayed himself as a moderate. Um, he didn't win because he ran as a conservative. So, Right. Well, so I know in some other states, like last year, I think Democrats were a little bit bullish on their chances of winning Senate races because you had very conservative candidates. I'm thinking like Tennessee, there was a former Democratic governor who ran for Senate um, and people for a while at least thought he might have a real chance of beating. I think it was Marsha Blackburn, who was very conservative in Tennessee. But obviously, Tennessee is a, a much different state than North Carolina. Do you think there is a point at which a Republican would be unelectable in the state statewide? Like someone say Mark Walker, but maybe if that's possible, someone more conservative. I mean, do you think there are? Yeah, I, I think there are plenty. There are plenty of Republicans that are unelectable. You know, uh, I mean. Um, Republicans had a history for a while in the 90s of electing, of, of nominating people that just couldn't, they couldn't win. Um, and they drug the party to the right. I mean, Richard Venroot, who was a moderate mayor of Charlotte, got beat by Robin Hayes in a primary in 1996, and Jim Hunt crushed him. But that uh, uh, was a good Democratic year. But still, um, you know, I, I think that... Uh, that there are a lot of Republicans that are are too conservative for North Carolina politics, and um, you know they and and you, you win in this state by by burnishing your kind of moderate credentials. I think from both sides. Well, so that ties into what I was going to say next. You, you wrote today about a topic I think we did discuss yesterday, but the idea that. Democrats need to elect people, you know, in in these districts that aren't going to necessarily agree on every issue, but by and large, they they vote with the Democrats for a statewide election. You mentioned before, at least 
to me that there's maybe a myth around the idea that a Democrat in North Carolina needs to be, you know, like military background or something like that to win statewide. What do you think is the ideal profile on the Democratic side for just a generic statewide Democrat to win elections? You know, I, I think they need to be relatively moderate on, on uh, most fiscal issues. Uh, you know, the, the, generally on a lot of the social issues, uh, they, they're, they're center left. I mean, I think, I think the, the epitome of a candidate in North Carolina that wins is a center left candidate. I mean, the, the problem with the military thing is it's this, it's this idea that everybody has because we're a military state that people are all going to vote for the, for, for somebody with ties to the military. And I think the way voters look at that is that, yeah, that's a, that's a little bit of a positive but because we're a military state, we also get that not all military veterans, that, that doesn't really determine how you, what your position on things are, whether you're a good person or a bad person. Um, you know, a lot of military pe- people that come out of military areas are, are there, <laughs> there are plenty, there, there are plenty of people with problems as well as there are people that are, that are good, solid citizens. Um, it's, it's, it's a, it's a positive check mark, it, it, but it's not any sort of determining factor for anybody getting elected to office. You know, my, my argument was is that the last military person to win a, a statewide office in North Carolina, I'm pretty sure the last veteran was, was Terry Sanford. Um, that's been a long time ago. Uh, and, yeah, it's been a while. You know, and, I mean, the biggest example was is in, in 2008, Larry Kissel beat a uh, veteran in, in a district that encompassed most of Fort, Fort Bragg in a Democratic primary. So, you know, Kissel was, had no military background, and this guy had, was a successful lawyer, but he was also, you know, Green Beret. And that, that didn't sway Democratic primary voters in, in, a, in, a, in a very military-friendly district. Sure. Well... Well, final thought, this is a bit speculative, but, you know, with with Trump being the end-all, be-all right now with the Republican Party, he, he obviously has, does not have the same small government ideas that have been sort of you know, paramount, you know, small government, Reaganism type conservatism. Um, do you think there is room for Democrats to win over people that are currently Republicans on economic issues, or do you think that the social issues uh, trump everything? Not to use Trump ironically, there. I, I mean, I think there. I don't think. No, I don't think social issues trump everything. Um, but it, but if you get too far out on a limb, they can be disqualifying in certain districts. Uh, you know, I just. I, I mean, I, I think that. Democrats need to run candidates in center-right districts that reflect more of the uh, population. And and there are plenty, there are not plenty, but there are some districts out there, and really McCready's in one of them, um, where you've got this mix of, of kind of urban people who share that are pretty socially progressive and, and very 
socially conservative rural voters. And, you know, that you've got to strike a balance to win in those districts, and you can't be too far on one side or the other. Um, and I just think Democrats need to have a bigger tent so they can compete in a broader swath of the state instead of uh, increasingly becoming an urban party. Right. Well, it is hard to win statewide. I mean, in districts all over the state, when you only have, you know, you can't run up the margins in cities and, and win in rural areas. That only works every so often in a statewide race. Right. But, okay. Well, I think that should about do it for today. Hopefully we'll get back on one of these tomorrow and have something new to say about something happening in the General Assembly, perhaps. But from Politics NC, this has been The Daily Perspective. Thomas, thank you for joining me for a few minutes today. Thank you for listening to Perspective from Politics NC. If you liked our podcast today, be sure to leave a review wherever you listen. Follow us at Politics NC on Twitter and like our page on Facebook. Be sure to visit politicsnc.com to read the articles we discuss each day and where new articles are posted every morning. 